we're going to go to, to, to the Gospel of Matthew tonight, the 14th chapter. I feel something in my heart here. Amen. Matthew chapter 14, and uh, beginning at <clears throat> verse uh, number 22. We're going to read a little bit down through here. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into his ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Amen. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Lord, I thank and praise you tonight for the word of God. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, and give us what we need to hear tonight in the Holy Ghost, I pray. Minister to us in the Holy Ghost and touch our spirits in Jesus' name. Let's give God a hand praise right now. Thank you, Lord God, for the word of the Lord and for the anointing and for the spirit of the Lord tonight. Amen. And you may be seated. I want to speak to you this evening. Wherefore didst thou doubt? And I'm going to talk about a subject that I think we're all familiar with from a theoretical Standpoint, But when it comes to personal experience, I believe that we do not often understand it or how it works. And I'm speaking of faith. Faith as trust in God in every situation of our lives. I think probably that when it comes down to it, we are more experimental than experiential. When it comes to faith. Experimental. We try it out. We experiment with it. But in terms of actually experiencing it in its full quality. In the full power of the Holy Spirit. That's often the fail point and the struggle point for us. It has been said that faith is a gift of God. But so is the air. But you have to breathe it. And so is bread but you have to eat it. And so is water, but you have to drink it. So how do we accept this gift? Not by feeding on it, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. That is how we get faith. We hear about it and something pricks in our heart. I imagine tonight when Peter came down to the household of Cornelius and began to preach to them and talk to them about Jesus Christ, their heart was ready to receive whatever it was that God had for them. They didn't know what it was going to be. They didn't know anything about it, but they heard about Jesus. And as Peter was getting to the point that if you believe on the name, amen, you could have remission of sins. The Holy Ghost fell on them and they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Why? Because they heard something that inspired them to believe and to reach out and to receive it. Now this kind of faith, this kind of hearing is the kind of faith that causes us to sit forward in our seats in anticipation, in a sense of expectation, in a sense of hope and believing that in a moment or two, in just a little while, I'm going to get to the point where I receive what I'm hoping to receive. And so 
be blessed with the word of God. It is not for us to sit down and wait for faith to come upon us with a strong feeling of some kind. But rather it faith comes when we take God at his word. And this is why that we understand faith more in theory than we do in experience. Do you see what I'm saying? And if we try to have a little faith, it is often just putting our toe in the water to test the water to see whether or not that we get a feeling or get some kind of a sign or get some kind of an affirmation or confirmation that we now can step out and accept that this is what I am believing that I am receiving. But real faith is so simple. Jesus spoke of it in simplistic terms. He said unless that we had uh, faith and belief like a child. He spoke of faith in the sense of childlike faith. That of the little child that is tossed into the air, that is twirled around in circles, are suspended upside down by their heels three feet off the ground, all the while screaming and laughing as her teasing and loving father is whirling her around in the air. She laughs and she shouts because of her trust in her father. Despite the thrill of danger, she feels safe. She feels secure. That is childlike faith. That is simple faith. That is, you've got me, and it's all right. I may be upside down. I may be spinning around. Hallelujah. But you've got me. You're holding on to me, and everything is going to be all right. And I can laugh in the face of danger. I can laugh at the, at the thrill of what is going on because I know my father has me. He's got me. Oh, hallelujah. Let's give God a hand praise. Thank you, Jesus. By the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, we have entered into what we might think of as the high water mark of Christ's earthly ministry. Here in the 14th chapter, just before our text of Scripture, we read where Christ fed 5,000 men plus women and children with nothing more than five loaves and two little fishes. When the, when the block party was over, they took up 12 basketfuls of remainders of leftovers. There was a leftover feast waiting for somebody uh, after more than 5,000 people were fed with just five loaves and two little fishes. What, uh, what a moment that there was here. These times were the happy times for the disciples. This year was the golden year of the popularity of Jesus Christ. We had just seen previously to this where John the Baptist has been martyred. And so that powerful voice that had begun the revival by attracting thousands and thousands of Jews out into the wilderness and out to the Jordan River to be baptized that had a hardcore, dedicated group of disciples and followers. He is now gone. He has decreased that Christ may increase. And now the multitudes of followers of, of Christ have been multiplied over and over again by the spillover from those that had been following John the Baptist. Now everyone is following Jesus if they're following anything at all because Jesus alone represents the, the voice of change and the voice of national revival. And any of them who are hungry for those things must now follow Jesus. There's no one else to go to to follow he alone. His crowds have multiplied and they have swelled. We have evidence of it. If there were more than 5,000 men and women and children were involved as well, then we may at least easily calculate the number to be have have been closer to twenty five or thirty thousand people. That's an arena full of people. And what he had just done 
elevated his status to the highest point because here was a man who multiplied loaves and fishes and fed the hungry crowds. He did that, plus he taught them and, and told them things spiritually uh, that were astounding and amazing. He not only taught them in fresh new ways that gave him wonderful understandings of the Word of God and the principles of Scripture, but he also stopped to bless their children, to heal their sick. Blind eyes were opened. Lame men walked. Crippled legs and limbs were straightened. And uh, people rose again from the dead. Lepers were healed. And, uh, and uh, 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 Levites and, uh, and wealthy men and, and uh, sinners were converted and changed. What a powerful, powerful movement. But as soon as this picnic was over, Jesus straight away, right away, constrained his disciples to get into his ship and go before him to the other side. Constrained. That's a huge word. It means forced, compelled, insisted upon. Jesus insisted that they get in that ship and go over to the other shore. I will meet you on the other side. Oh, no, 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 Lord. Let, let's, let's stay a while. Let's linger. Amen. I'm sure that they would rather have followed along with Jesus after this huge block party and this wonderful success story. How much more? Would they have rather lingered together in the afterglow of this magnificent popularity campaign? Here was everything they had hoped for and believed for. The one that they were following has now is now sweeping the nation to him. And they are at his side. They are at his shoulders. They are his go-to men. And they were there from the beginning. They were there to be the first followers when he wasn't known, when he wasn't famous, and when he wasn't popular. They were in on the inside of the story. You can imagine that after this tremendous moment, all that they could have wanted, all that any of us could have wanted, was to stick close to him, to walk away and let's sit down and eat. And let's talk about what just happened. Slap one another on the back and be excited and be cheered up. Oh, hallelujah. I believe that we would likewise rather enjoy all the fresh stirrings of revival. Of new souls being born into the kingdom of God. Or the completion of a huge building program miraculously engineered by the provision of God. We would rather slow our pace and linger in the moment of blessing and glory and revival and things happening. That's just natural. That's just the way that it works. That's, that's who we are. That's what we want, Lord. Just stay a while. Let's camp out around this revival. Let's camp out around this wonderful moment of time and celebrate it and talk about it and turn it into balance and make great stories about it and encourage one another over it. That's just nature. That's human nature. That's who we are. That's what we are, and that's what they wanted. But just when we think we deserve a little break, just when we think that we deserve a little, a little time to rest, wham! That's when uh, uh, God sends us straight into a storm. Jesus constrained them. You must take ship. You must go to the other side. Jesus knew fully what he was doing. He knew fully what was about to happen. He knew what was going to happen to them. They didn't know. They just blindly obeyed him. And they took ship, amen, and left him on the shore alone. I know in their heart they wanted him to be with, with them. But they had to go it alone. Sometimes we have to get in a storm by our 
ourselves all alone. Amen. And we have to fight with it and struggle with it and contend with it in order for God to show up and reveal himself to us in his glory, in his power, in his miraculous might. Hallelujah. Amen. I want the Holy Ghost to come on to us tonight. I want the Holy Ghost to get in our hearts and be inspired. This is a Holy Ghost church. Amen. Do you believe in the Holy Ghost? Do you believe in the Spirit of God? Do you believe in that thing that is inside of you? God put something in you. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, hallelujah. Jesus left them to be alone and to pray. That he knew full well what he was doing. And the Bible said evening came. And he was alone in the mountain praying. He was alone. But he was never far. God is never far away. And he knows exactly what is going to happen next. He knows the storm he sent us into. He sent us into that storm. And he knows what's going to happen on the other side. Hallelujah. My God, hallelujah, is not far away. And aren't you thankful? Amen. When you think you're all alone and you're fighting your battle by yourself, then Jesus is in a mountain praying. He's praying for you when you can't pray because you're full of doubt and you're fighting and you're struggling and you're contending. But he's praying and he knows. He knows. Come on, Holy Ghost. Come on, Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. 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 So they were now in the midst of the sea. Now the Sea of Galilee is some 16 miles long by some six miles wide. I've been on the Sea of Galilee. It is not that big. And uh, the Bible tells us they are in the midst of it. And they have toiled and they've worked hard to try to sail across this sea ever since they boarded the ship that afternoon. Now, I have sailed before. I used to have a sailboat. So I know that you can move along at a pretty good clip whenever the wind is right. Amen. You can really move along and leave a weight behind you. It's frightening how fast that ship can go, how quick and suddenly it can turn. But I also know what it means to be becalmed or to have the wind blow contrary to you and to have it blow in fits and starts, both forward and backward, and send you forward and a second later be blowing you backward against the direction that you want to try to go. Amen. And so I know how much longer it takes that when the wind is not going with you and you have to sail against the wind and make wide tacking loops, amen, in order just to get up the stream or up the lake a little bit, miles and hours of tacking against the wind and striving and going against it. I know what it is like to be in a situation Amen, like that. And so, uh, and so, uh, 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 it, it, so I take it that this was no picnic. And uh, they had just about had enough. And things were about to get worse. Now, my understanding of this is that Jesus left the shore from the area most likely that he uh, was m most familiar with most of his campaigns centered around the fishing village of Capernaum, which was directly on the northern shore lengthwise of the lake. And then, if you were to stand at Capernaum and look down the lake southward, immediately to your southwest is the shore of Gennesaret, where the pigs ran violently down a steep place into the sea. I've seen that shore where those pigs ran when the demons drove them into the sea. It isn't very far to go from Capernaum across the way to Gennesaret. Now I bring Gennesaret up because the end of our story was that when everything 
came to a halt the next day, they were in Gennesaret. And a revival was taking place in Gennesaret. We'll get to that in a moment. If they had sailed across from Tiberias, which is to uh, the eastern side of the shore, Capernaum, Tiberias, Gennesaret, down that way would be Jerusalem. I've sailed across the sea from Tiberias on the ship out into the midst of the sea. It is not a big journey. But uh, let's suppose even had they gone from Tiberias. Most likely they did not. Surely, if they wound up in Gennesaret and their starting point was somewhere on the northern shore where most of Jesus spent his ministry at the Sea of Galilee, then it was not a very long distance, two and a half maybe miles, uh, to get from that point to Gennesaret. But the Bible said this, the sea was contrary to them. Let's imagine they have embarked in the afternoon. Jesus has sent them across the way. Evening is about to come in the next two, two and a half hours or so. Uh, and Jesus wants to go alone in the mountain to pray. They take, they take ship and they set out. There are experienced uh, fishermen there or sailors that know how to crew this boat, this, this boatload of 12 men. They know what to do in a storm. They know how to row. They know how to set a sail. They know how to strike a sail. They know how to set an anchor and raise an anchor. They know everything that they need to know. Uh, but they have made their livelihood uh, on that very same sea. And they've seen it in every condition. Normally they would have turned around and come back under contrary conditions. But their mission was go to the other side and I will meet you there. They were following the will of their master. He had sent them ahead of me. I send you ahead of me. Go to the other side and wait for me there. So turning around and going back to Capernaum and to their homes was not an option. Going back to mama and daddy was not an option. They did not have an easy turnaround or situation out of this. They just knew that they had an appointment with the master on the other side. And if I want to hook up with him again, if I want to be with him again, if I want to see what he's going to do when he gets over there, then I've got to push forward and follow the will of the master and go where he says to go. I've got to do it. Hallelujah. So they have started out. I imagine they had not gotten very far when dark clouds begin to roll in and the wind begin to pick up. And try as they might, the wind is blowing them backwards faster than they can move forward. I've been on a boat in a lake when my engine died and a sudden squall came up on the lake and a fierce wind. And very rapidly, it blew that boat straight for the shore. And on the bank of the shore was a stone wall and curve of the highway and rocks just below it at water's edge. And within a very few moments, we were approaching disaster in our boat. I began to throw anchors overboard and hope that they would hold as they would drag on the bottom as the wind violently would push that little boat while trying to get that motor started. It's a dangerous thing when the winds are contrary to you and you're trying to go in one direction and you can't go in another. If you've ever been in a canoe by yourself on a lake and the wind comes up, you know very well what it is like to be in that canoe paddling in the rear end of the canoe while the wind's spinning the front of the canoe around, back in circles and around, and paddle as you might and try as you might to get going into the wind. The shear of the wind shears the, the canoe, and the boat turns in one direction or another, and you fight and you struggle and you're trying to get across, but you just can't do it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been there, you've experienced it. These men in this boat had a simple mission and a task. It wasn't a far journey. They knew where they had to go, and they knew how they had to get there. But every attempt they were making, it was getting worse and worse and worse. Evening came, night fell, it was dark. There were no stars in the sky. Those clouds 
uh, were overspread. The wind was blowing. It was boisterous. The waves were boisterous. They were storm-tossed, and they struggled. They worked it. They rowed. They bailed. They set sail. They turned sail. They spun around and spun around again and turned again. And every time they seemed that they made a few yards forward, they would be blown more yards backward and have to start again. This went on. Uh, this went on from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Uh, the first watch went by. And then from 9 to midnight, the second watch went by. And they were still fighting and getting nowhere. And it was getting worse and worse. And they were getting more weary and more tired. And then from midnight to 3 a.m. in the morning, it was even more worse and devilish. But yet, the worst was yet to come. Hallelujah. For now they have entered the fourth watch. And the Jews measured the hour by day in, in hours. From six in the morning, the day was measured out an hour at a time, 12 hours, from six in the morning to 6 p.m. at night. At evening, they measured time differently. They split it up into four watches of three hours each. From 6 to 9, first watch. From 9 to midnight, the second watch. From midnight to 3 a.m., the third watch. They are now in the fourth watch. They have struggled and toiled all the night long. And it has only gotten worse. They are at their end of their strength, of their faith, of their patience. They have not gotten to where they need to go. They are in the midst of the sea. They are still far from the shore. And things have gotten worse for them. Oh, hallelujah. Imagine the moment they're in. But the one that was praying for them, the one on the mountain alone that never worried or never feared, the one that sent them on that mission, that sent them directly into that storm, was waiting for the optimum hour. God waits for the optimum hour. <laughs> God doesn't need cannonballs and siege weapons to take walls down. He needs somebody to obey the command. March seven times around and blow the ramparts. in the mulberry trees, and then you will see my deliverance through my hand. Gideon, Gideon, wait until you have only 300 hand-picked, dedicated warriors, amen, that are afraid of nothing. And then when I tell you, blow the trumpet and raise the torch, hallelujah, and I will deliver. Step down from the shore in their direction. 
he began to walk in their direction. They haven't seen him coming, but he is on the way. Hallelujah. You don't see God coming. You don't see the deliverance. But you're in the fourth watch. And you're crying out to God. And even though you don't see him, he is on the way with the answer. Hallelujah. Oh, Hallelujah. 
moves forward. There is a mission and a work of God in tomorrow. Our tomorrows hold a promise of a move of God and of a revival. Hallelujah. And we need to have faith. Hallelujah. Jesus took him up by the hand and pulled him up. Jesus didn't reprimand him, but he gently scolded him. Oh, thou of little faith. Wherefore didst thou doubt? Well, hallelujah. Praise God, let's stand together. Hallelujah. Oh, sometimes we have so little faith. He's not here yet. We don't see him. Amen. And, and, and we're fighting and we're pushing through that storm to the best of our abilities. But I want you to say, I want to tell you, hold on, dear child of God. Hold on. Cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense for reward. Satan is contesting faith. He's contesting faith. And when Jesus comes, when the Lord comes, will he find faith on this earth? Will the church still be standing? Oh, we've got some storms ahead of us. Yes, we've got a country and a government passing laws that will hurt and affect the righteousness and the doctrines and the right living and the right understanding of, of human life and gender and marriage. They're coming for us. Hallelujah. But will he find Standing on the promise of the Word of God. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have time to read it. I have scriptures I want to read it. Amen. But they'll, they'll take too much time. But I can just tell you, you can almost turn anywhere in the book of Psalms or Proverbs and put your finger on the scripture that will tell you what God is going to do to the enemies of the righteous. Right. To those that set themselves in opposition to God, to His kingdom, and to His work, and to His people. And when I read those scriptures, Brother Matthew, I claim them. As the promise of God for me, I stand on the word of God. I stand on the word of God. I say, God, this is my word for today. This is what I believe in you for today. You're going to take care of this situation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm. Sometimes we're like the mighty circus elephant who is chained by a chain to a peg in the ground, walking in circles around and around that peg, when he easily has the power and strength to snap it out of the ground and to free himself. But he does not do that. Why doesn't he do that? Because when he was a little elephant, they pegged him to the ground, and he wasn't strong enough to break the chain. He pulled and pulled and tried to get away. Day after day, he fought and struggled and tried to break free, and he could not. Eventually, he learned to shuffle around and around the peg and not try anymore. He began to believe that he could not do it. He didn't have the faith to do it, but he had all the strength and the authority to break free. Hallelujah. That's what we are like sometimes when we experiment with faith rather than experience faith. But faith is absolute trust in God. God, you've got me. You've got my back. You've got my life. Look, God, the word says you knew me before I was shaped in my mother's womb, before I was born. The word says the steps of a righteous man or order the Lord. The word says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. I'm standing on the word. I'm holding to it. I'm believing it that you're going to carry me through. And I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I do know that the darkest hour is before dawn. And in the fourth watch, when it is the darkest, that is the darkest time of the night, the fourth watch, amen, when all seems lost and hope, and hope is gone. Hope is never gone, for you are somewhere over me, observing and watching over me and waiting for the optimum moment to reveal yourself strong in my behalf and to deliver and set me free. Oh, hallelujah. I have begun to pray this way. I have begun to pray, Lord, don't let me walk in fear. 
Don't let me walk in fear. But when I feel fear, give me joy and give me praise. When I feel fear, help me to rejoice in the Lord and to praise God for his strength, for his deliverance, and to thank him for all that he's ever done and all the miracles and all the things he's brought me through. Lord, replace my fear with the kind of faith that says I will not accept fear, but I will give voice to praise and give voice to worship. Give me a fighting faith, a fighting faith. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Help me to choose to trust you, Lord, with tomorrow because only you know what tomorrow holds. Because your word says sorrow endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The morning is coming. Oh, let's give God a hand for us. The morning is coming. tonight before we leave that we should gather around the front for two or three minutes, five minutes, and pray. Pray one for another. I know there are people here that are fighting and struggling. You've got huge battles and struggles. I know there's fear motivates people and there's difficulties and stress and problems in your life. I hope that the Holy Ghost has spoken to you tonight and stirred something up in you. If you would come, hallelujah, and lift your hands and pray with me this prayer. Lord, don't let me walk in fear. Don't let me walk in doubt, but change my fear to joy. I want to enjoy life. You promised me life and more abundantly. I want to experience joy, and I want to give you praise. I'm the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I'm giving it to you tonight. I'm celebrating my faith. I am determined not to let fear be the thing I walk in. But I'm going to walk in faith. I choose faith. I choose faith. I choose strength. I want help, but I want hope. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Mighty God, mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I choose faith, God. I choose joy, not fear, not fear, not fear, but faith. It'll bring me through. Hallelujah. God does not answer every prayer. We pray the way we want to. My mother prayed for God's healing in her life, and I prayed for her, but the Lord took her home. Mercifully, the Lord took her home in a short time. Didn't drag it out too long. My dad wanted to live to 120, then downgraded it to 100. We hoped he might make it to 90, and he probably could have. But in less than two weeks, God took him home. I prayed, God save him, God raise him up, God heal him. But God didn't. God took him home. Mercifully, God didn't make him suffer long. But when it's time to go, we all must go. We all must go. And those are prayers God are not going to answer. Those are storms you're going to be in. But there is another side to that storm. You will still live and come out and life goes on and things move forward. They, they will move forward and you will make adjustments and you will begin to still enjoy life. Some things we have to accept, it's a part of life. There are times that the Lord allows a storm to come to our life because it's a learning experience. Sister Marie, I see you shaking your head. Yes, you know you've been through a storm. A very terrible storm. The terrible C word. Hallelujah. But you're still here. And you got your hair back. And, and it's not white. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, hallelujah. Amen. So God sometimes lets us go into a storm because he knows what's coming out tomorrow. There's a tomorrow. There's another side. There's something. There's glory that's coming out. I can't make sense of everything that happens to me or to you. 
There are times that I don't have an answer for you. I don't know what the answer is. I know you're suffering. I know you're going through it. But I can tell you this much. The most important thing is to hold on to your faith to the end. Paul was getting ready to lay his neck on a chopping block. He did not lose his faith. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have run the race. And I have finished the course. And I have kept the faith. I've kept the faith. The one thing Satan is trying to work away from you, trying to use every situation and instance and storm in your life to destroy and to rob and to take from you, that one thing is the thing that you need to hold on to. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm not going to let go of my faith. Of my faith. That's what I need to. You can make me walk on the water, but I need to. You can pull me through the storm. You're going to do it in Jesus' name. Let's give God a big hand praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, this might have been a better message for a Sunday morning, but y'all needed it on a Wednesday night. I want to make Wednesday night better than Sunday morning to keep you coming back. Praise God. God bless you. We're dismissed.